The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast in America is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog has just added Pick'em Scorchers, where you can win 100 times your money. That's right, turn $5 into $500 in just one game. Plus, every Sunday, they're giving away $100,000. Use promo code SGPN at Underdog Fantasy for your 100% deposit bonus up to $500. We're also brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also giving away $3,000 in our NFL Second Chance Survivor Contest presented by Corey Pinkston and Barking Dog Properties. The contest starts this weekend and it's free to enter. Just go to sportscampodcast.com slash survivor. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast. And now it's currently Friday evening, October 20th, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again, going solo for this pod. Should be a fun episode. Time to get into six matches, six semifinal matches taking place in Tokyo, Antwerp, and Stockholm. So we are going to go through every match on the card. Before we get into any of that, do want to recap what happened last episode, and we'll also talk about some news that ended up happening over the last week. So starting off with the Lock and Dog Picks, Overall, decent. Ended up splitting. We won the lock. We had Safulan to win in straight sets against Seabolt Wild, which he did. Won comfortably, never in doubt. As for the dog, ended up losing. We had Papyrin and Kashanov over two and a half sets, and that lost as Papyrin won comfortably. I guess you can argue in hindsight we had a... We are on the right track. We had the right idea because we thought that Kashanov was a favorite, but he wasn't worthy of being as big of a favorite as he was, and we thought it'd be a close match. The only problem was Kashanov didn't show up because Papyrin buried him, so I ended up losing there, but we did win the lock, so it could have been worse, and hopefully we'll pick up a sweep in this episode. But I do want to talk about some news before we officially transition over into the match previews. So first piece of news is going to be Alcaraz's injury because he officially ended he officially withdrew a couple days ago from Basel. So he has an injury which is undisclosed. I'm not exactly sure uh what the exact problem is. It involves his foot and we're going to see once again if that caused him to miss any more tournaments, but it does seem like his leg and foot have given him issues over the last couple of years. Now, Alcaraz had a pretty good year won one Grand Slam event as he ended up winning Wimbledon. You can make an argument he thought he'd have a better year, even though his overall record is solid. But I feel like a lot of people, even though Alcaraz is the future face of tennis, I'm not going to dispute that, a lot of people are blindly expecting him to suddenly compete with Djokovic for the most titles or most Grand Slam titles ever. And Alcaraz has gotten hurt each of the last two years. I don't think he's going to be durable enough to get there. Now, he's only 20. So there's a long way to go. You can also argue it's a very weak field in the future once Djokovic ends up retiring or at least enters post-prime state. But Alcaraz might run unopposed for several years. But the durability concerns are there. And I feel like everybody's trying to crown Alcaraz as being the future goat of the sport. And I feel like people are underestimating how difficult it is to actually win that many Grand Slams. Djokovic winning this many is almost impossible. And I think Alcaraz is not going to get there at the end of his career. Now, it's not a hot take to say that he's not going to break the all-time record, but a lot of people are already crowning Alcaraz as being the main guy who will, not if, who will dethrone Djokovic as the king of tennis overall. 
And I don't see it. I think there's too many injury concerns. And I do think Alcaraz plays a very dangerous style of tennis on his body. Of course, it's incredible to watch, and his overall skill is undeniable. But the fact that he is going for every ball, he moves that fast, he jump stops, and the fact that his legs are already giving him problems at the age of 20, it's a problem. And I want to bring that up because I think that Alcaraz, once again, is a great overall tennis talent. He's one of the most talented tennis players of all time. But the ability to stay durable enough to pass what seems like a borderline unbreakable record that Djokovic has right now, I'm skeptical. And I do think Alcaraz is going to have to start planning accordingly, maybe taking uh, more, I don't want to say taking more points off, but I think he's going to have to try to put less strain on his feet and his legs moving forward because his mobility is great. It's a phenomenal attribute. But when your legs are starting to betray you at the age of 20, you have to be worried about it. So I do wonder if Alcaraz is going to change some stuff up and maybe he'll be able to improve his durability as time goes on. A reminder, Djokovic did have a lot of withdrawal and retirement issues early in his career, and then he completely changed around his diet and he ended up becoming the most fit tennis player of all time. I'm not saying that Alcaraz has to completely change his diet or anything, but I do think he has to be aware of the lingering leg issues that he's had over the past two years. And he might have to try to he might have to try some things out in order to put those concerns to bed. But I wanted to mention that Alcaraz will be missing the next event. I'm not sure the next time he's going to play. I'm assuming he'll be there for the ATP final in Turin, but we'll see if he plays in any events before that. As for the other news, it actually involved a guy who got buried earlier in the week in Stockholm. As we saw Kekmanovic absolutely bury Rune, and Rune's immediate response was to hire Boris Becker to be his new coach. Now, it's going to be till the end of the year, so it's kind of a trial basis, as we're going to see how well it works out, but Rune has been a disaster since Wimbledon, basically, and we'll see how He's able to finish out the year. As of right now, he's still on pace to make it to Turin because Fritz and Paul and nobody wants to win any damn matches at this point. So it does seem like you're looking at a a spot where Rune is on pace to make it to Turin. I'm not sure if he's going to hold on or not, but Fritz and Paul falling apart has kind of helped him maintain his current spot. But I do think it's interesting that Boris ended up taking the job. And the main story that I actually got from this headline wasn't even the fact that it was Becker actually becoming coach. It was the fact that Becker was out of jail. I didn't know he was out of jail, so congrats on making it out. I'm proud of you. But I do think for the sake of coaching, we're going to see how it goes. You know, Becker's been been around for, at least in a coaching standpoint, for a couple of years, he was coaching Djokovic from 2014 to 2016. He served eight months in prison uh, due to basically tax evasion. So I was not aware he was out of prison. But the point is, he's now going to try to revive or at least salvage Rune's 2023 season. We'll see what happens. But I do think when you're looking at the overall style of play from Djokovic and Rune, There are some similarities in terms of overall skill set. Of course, Djokovic is the best player of all time, and Rune is a long way from that. But there are some similarities, so maybe Boris can take some of what he learned coaching Djokovic and apply it to Rune. But I just think having a coach is going to help. We know Rune has been kind of insulated with his family, and a lot of people have not exactly been a fan of the overall 
uh, system that Rune had in place when it came to coaching. And now he has a former tennis, I don't, I don't know if legend's the right word, but a well-known tennis champion kind of calling the shots here. We'll see how it goes, but I do think it's not going to hurt worst-case scenario. If it doesn't work out, then he wasted a couple months, but at least he tried something new, and at least Rune and his family realized that they needed another, as of right now, trustworthy voice in the locker room to potentially help Rune get out of his funk, and we're going to see how that goes. But I thought it was fascinating that... Becker is now a coach once again at the ATP level. But anyway, uh, that's going to actually do it for the news. I'm sure I'm forgetting a couple of stories, but either way, I mentioned the two that I wanted to mention. Now it's time to get into the match previews. We're going to start off in Tokyo with an American matchup. You have Shelton taking on Giron. And for this one, Shelton is a decent favorite at minus 170. You have Giron at plus 150. As for the spread, Shelton minus two games is minus 115. Giron plus two is minus 105. And for the over-under, you can find 23 minus 110 on both sides. And if you want to look for some set wagering, uh, let me just see if I have that. Um, I don't have it on the... Actually, no, I do. I have it in the book in front of me. Uh, Shelton minus one and a half sets is plus 155. Giron plus one and a half sets is minus 185. Over two and a half sets is plus 125. So Shelton has looked pretty good in this event. Now, he has been involved in a couple of marathon matches, which he ended up getting through. But to go through the overall path here, Shelton did go to three sets against Taro Daniel and three sets against Thompson, and then ended up beating Paul 7-6-6-3. As for Giron, he's been really good. Had to go through qualifying, and he ended up beating up on three straight Japanese players, beat uh, once again, three guys, including Nishioka, in the first round of the event in three, then buried Rude in the second round in straight sets, and then buried Felix in straight sets in the quarterfinals. And to go through the head-to-head, Giron is up one nothing as he was able to beat Shelton earlier this year, actually, in Delray Beach. Now, for the sake of the value here, I think it's on Giron. I think Giron has looked very sharp in this event, and I do think that, once again, him winning the head-to-head earlier this year does tell me that Giron will not be intimidated, and Giron will be able to potentially, uh, I'd say, counterpunch Shelton's big serve, and I do think that Giron has been, once again, playing some very good tennis. I think he's alive to win it. Is he going to? That I'm not sure, but I do think him only dropping one set in five matches here, while Shelton has been involved in a couple of marathons, I do think Giron is definitely capable of upsetting Shelton. I think it's going to be a very close match. I would lean to the over, two and a half sets at plus 125, or I wouldn't mind the over in games at around 23. I prefer 22 and a half, but I do think that once again, you're looking at a longer match between two American players who are pretty talented. Sheldon has more talent, but Giron has more patience, and I think it's going to end up resulting in an ebbs and flows type match. Give me the over, but I do think that Giron is actually quite live to win this, and I think that Sheldon at minus 170 is kind of an absurd price. I get the argument is he just beat Tommy Paul. I get that. And Giron's play style is pretty similar to Tommy Paul. But I do think that Shelton should be closer to minus 140 in this spot. And I think that Giron should be closer to plus 120. So I think there is some value on Giron based on the price. And I do think there is a lot of value on the over in what should be a pretty long and competitive match. Now, moving on to the other semifinal, you have two Cinderella's. You have one, which is significantly larger than the other. You have Karatsev, who ended up looking pretty sharp in his first couple of matches against Mochizuki. You might be wondering, 
Who the hell is that guy? And the answer is a Japanese wild card who is having the run of his life. And he was very good at the junior level. And now it seems like he's finally transitioning over into the main level. So to go through his path, ended up beating Echeverry in straight sets, competitive straight sets, 6-4-7-6. Then he pulled off a massive upset against Fritz, where he lost the first set 6-0, then came back and won the next two sets 6-4-7-6. I believe Fritz was up 5-2 in the third set and choked it. Mochizuki was around 8-1 to one or 10-1. to one. Fritz was a massive favorite at like minus 1,500, minus 2,000, and he fell apart. But Mochizuki did what he had to do, and he won. And then he ended up beating Papyron in three sets uh, in the match on Friday. So you have the number 215th ranked player, against the number 50th ranked player, and they're going to battle it out. Now, Karatsev is a big favorite at around minus 360, and Mochizuki is around plus 300 the other way. As for the game spread, Karatsev minus four and a half games is, is minus 110. Mochizuki plus four and a half is minus 110. Over under four games is at 21. If you want to look at some other potential lines, you can get 20 games over minus 140, under plus 110. If you want to go for set wagering, you can get Karatsev to win in straight sets at minus 130, and Mochizuki to win a set at even money. Now, obviously, with it being in Tokyo, the crowd support will be all in favor of Mochizuki. Now, Karatsev, I said before, has been in good form. He's not dropped a set. He beat Tiafo in straight sets, beat Zhang in straight sets, and he buried Dimenauer in the quarterfinal match, 6-3-6-2. Mochizuki, once again, has been in good form, but he has been playing a bunch of tennis, including a marathon match against Papyron, where both sets that he won were 7-5. That match did take 2 hours and 22 minutes. The problem I have here is with potential fatigue. Now, I do think that Karatsev should be favored by a decent amount. Minus 360, you can argue, is pushing it, but I do think that Karatsev should, once again, win this match. Having said that, I do think Mochizuki has a lot of talent, and I do think that he can at least make it a competitive one-set minimum. So I am tempted by the over at 20, because I do think that Karatsev, with his tendency to self-destruct at times, is definitely capable of punting a set, or at least winning a set 7-5 or 7-6. So I actually like the over at 20 games here. I think Karatsev should win, but I think that once again, with his unpredictability and his tendency to short circuit. I do think that there is a little bit of value based on the current price on the home underdog. I think Karatsev will win, but I think it'll be somewhat closer than people think. Give me the over 20 games at minus 140. That's going to wrap it up for Tokyo. Now it's time to move on to uh, Stockholm because Stockholm has the matches starting at 8 a.m. You have Kikmanovic taking on Kotov in what should be a pretty interesting matchup as Kikmanovic is a favorite of minus 160. Kotov is plus 140. As for the game spread, Kikmanovic minus two is minus 116. Kotov is minus 104 for the plus two. And as for the games, over-unders at 23. Over is minus 104. Under is minus 116. So to go through the head-to-head between these players... Uh, I also did not mention that Mochizuki and Karatsev have never played against each other, but I'm sure that was a given, but just to be clear on that. So to go through the head-to-head between Kekmanovic and Kotov, they did face off in Beijing earlier this year, and you ended up seeing uh, Kekmanovic win that one in three. In fact, that matchup took place about a month ago, and you ended up seeing Kekmanovic win 6-1 in the third set. So based on the history and what we saw about a month ago, the over does look pretty appealing. Kekmanovic has been good 
so far in this event as he was able to beat the likes of Rune and he ended up beating Emer in the quarterfinal. Emer got buried 6-0 and then retired midway through the second set. He was cruelly injured, but not Kikmanovich's problem. He beat up on an injured player, which is what he should do. And Rune, once again, has been a head case all year, so winning, or the last couple of months at least. So Kikmanovich winning that one is a good win, but I wonder, once again, if it's inflated because Rune has been in terrible form for the last couple of months. Also beat Freeberg, a local Swedish guy in the first round, which really does not mean much. As for Kotov, he's only dropped one set, including qualifying. And then going through qualifying, then he dropped the set to Eubanks and then won the next two sets, beat Sonigo in straight sets, and beat Greekspor in straight sets in the quarterfinal. First glance, I like the over. I think you're going to see a very competitive match. I think you're going to see it probably go three. We just saw it go three in the matchup they had in Beijing. And the first two sets were... 7-5-7-6, so you might get over in the games without needing a third set. I like the over in this match. Not really going to overthink this one. I think for value purposes, there probably is a little bit of value on Kotov, but I do think Ekmanovich is going to win. But I think it's going to be a close match. Give me the over two and a half sets or the over in games as my main plays for that match. Now, moving on to the other semifinal, you have Dejir who had to come from behind and beat Makic in the quarterfinal. And then he's going up against Monfi. Now, that's a bit of a surprising matchup. Monfi is around minus 163. Dajir is around plus 130. For the actual games, over-unders at 22.5. Overs minus 125. Under is minus 110. And if you want to go for three sets, you can find that at around plus 110. Now, I've said this before. Any three-set wager below 125, I will not take. I will simply take the games instead. So I'm not going to take the over two and a half sets, no matter what. Now, for the actual head-to-head between these players... They've never faced off against each other, which is kind of surprising. Now, Dejir, I said before, had to come from behind against Makic, did beat Wolf in straight sets, and beat Borg in straight sets. Bjorn Borg's son, really not that great at tennis. But either way, point is Dejir beat him comfortably. And Monfi had to come from behind against Fuksovics in the first round, then buried Misalic, and ended up beating Manorino in a very solid showing there. 7-5-7-6. And Manorino has been in great form all year long, ended up beating Safulin in the round before that, so Monfi winning in straight sets was kind of shocking, but he's been in very good form, and I do think that the slow pace of the courts has definitely benefited Monfi at this venue, and we saw the slow pace based on Dejir's match against Makic, because you saw breaks pretty much every service game for both guys, so I do think looking at this overall matchup, I think I am actually going to lean to Monfi. Now, the problem is he's a minus 160 favorite, give or take, which does not exactly make him that appealing, for this spot. The game's spread I'm not interested in either because I think two and a half is a little bit rich. I do think the Jeer's going to have moments in this match, but I think he's going to probably lose if I had to guess. I think I like the over for the games here as my favorite play. I know the Jeer's upside can definitely overpower Monfi at times, but I do think that Monfi's consistency can overwhelm Dejir at times, who can hit some unforced errors, and he's also off of a very long three-plus-hour match on a Friday with no days off in between. You could argue that fatigue's going to be a problem for Dejir, but simply put, I am going to go with the over in this match. I think you'll see a very competitive, probably a three-set match, but I think that for the sake of the value I prefer the two. I prefer the uh, twenty-two and a half games because you can see a seven-six-six-four type scoreline. Maybe it goes three, but give me the over twenty-two and a half games at minus one twenty-five as my main play there. That's going to wrap it up for Stockholm. Now it's time to move on to the final two matches 
on the card. You have Antwerp starting off with the first match between Bublik and Marterra. Bublik is the slight favorite at minus 130. Marterra is around is around a plus 110. For game spread, Bublik minus one is minus 105. Marterra plus one is minus 115. Over-under for games is 23.5. Over is minus 108. Under is minus 112. If you want to go for sets, you can get over two and a half sets at plus 125. Under is minus 155. And if you want Bublik to win in straight sets, you can get that at plus 190. Martero to win in straight sets is plus 250. So looking at the actual uh, path of both players so far, Bublik has started to look sharper after basically taking a couple months off following his title win on grass. Uh, but you're looking at Bublik against Martero. They faced off two times before, both on grass. One was this year in Wimbledon. Bublik did win in straight sets. And they faced off in Halla in 2017. Martero won in straight sets. Does that mean anything? Not really, because it is going to be a hardcore event. So you can kind of toss those out. Now, Bublik so far in this event has been fine. He ended up beating uh, Barreri in straight sets, 6 4, 6 2, and then ended up beating. A relative unknown French player who was kind of coming out of nowhere to win his first couple ATP matches, but he was able to beat Pericard in three sets. And that match was very entertaining. It was fun. Bublik did double fault seven times, but he was able to break serve four times. So he actually did a good job returning in that match in route to a three-set win. As for Martero, he has gone on the absolute dream run through qualifying because he has been battering people. Martero has not dropped a single set. He's won all five matches, and he only went to one tiebreaker. Only one set has had more than 10 games. So the counterpoint is he hasn't really played anybody because he ended up beating Brower, Drogit, then he beat Gasquet in the first round of the actual event. Gasquet's past his prime. He can barely move. Beat Borges, who is a challenger-level Portuguese player. Uh, that was a competitive match, but he won in straight sets. And he beat Gaston because Gaston was able to upset Struff in the previous round. So it is a pretty big step up in competition. And Bublik is a much better server than every player that I mentioned out of those five. So you can argue that Martero has had a dream run, but it's kind of fool's gold because he hasn't played anybody. And Bublik is the much more talented player. The problem is Bublik's a head case, and I don't know if I actually trust him to uh, win on a, on a regular basis if he's going to check out if he falls behind one set to nothing. Now, I do think that overall, Martero is definitely live to win the match. It's plus 110, so I do think that there is a little bit of value on Bublik based on the price. I think Bublik should be a bigger favorite based on the talent disparity. Now, I am going to link to the over in this match. I think three sets is a decent outcome. I think that you're looking at Martero, who has been really good, and Bublik, who's looked sharp. But I do think that looking at this overall match, I think I'd rather take the game line for either, or the team total line for Martero. It's around 12 and a half. I think that's pretty tempting. I think if Martero wins, he's probably going to win one set with seven games attached to it, or it goes three. But I think I am going to lean to the game, to the uh, team total over for Martero or Bublik. I, I don't mind either guy, but I see a longer match here. I'm going to lean to the over in this one, and I am going to go with the over two and a half sets at plus 125. I kind of like that value, as I do think you will see uh, Bublik serve well and then maybe punt the set. We'll see what happens. But Martero has been good, but he's also had a very easy schedule. And I think that, once again, his run is a little bit overrated because of it. Now, moving on to the final match of the card. It's going to be the most anticipated match, and it's going to be between Sitsipas and Phils. Now, Phils was the only guy we got left to actually win an event, as our outrights were not great. 
did win Shelton for the quarter, and we did win Phils to win the quarter. Decent price there, but we did pick Phils to win in Antwerp, and that's the only outright we have left. It has not been a predictable three tournaments here, as you've had a lot of upsets in all these events, particularly in Tokyo. But for the sake of Antwerp, you have Tsitsipas as a minus 225 favorite. Phils is plus 195. As for the games, Tsitsipas minus 2.5 is minus 117. Phils plus 2.5 is minus 103. And as for the actual total, over 23.5 is minus 104. Under is minus 116. For set wagering, you can get Tsitsipas in straight sets at plus 115. Phils to win a set is minus 145. Over 2.5 sets is a plus 140. So looking at the actual head-to-head between these players, you have seen... Uh, let me just quickly check. Nothing. They never faced off against each other. Now, Phils has been in good form. Ended up beating the likes of Lajal and Varius in the first two rounds here. As for Tsitsipas, he was able to beat Dezanshulp and Hompfman in straight sets. Now, I did pick Phils to win the event. I like the value. I had questions about Tsitsipas following an injury. And overall, Tsitsipas has kind of passed those tests with flying colors. He's looked very good. And he's been good competition, which is where in lies the problem with Phils. He has not really played anybody because Lajal was a relative unknown who I think is only here because the company that sponsors him sponsors the event. I think that's how he got in. But the point is Lajal is a bit of an unknown. I think he won his first ATP event, uh, first ATP match in the first round here as he was able to beat Munar. But the point is Phils did have a competitive 7-6-7-6 match there and did win. And then he beat Varius. Now, Varius did have a bit of an upset in the first round, but I've said it before, Varius is not a good hardcore player. He is mostly a clay guy. So Phils winning that match was still solid. It's not his problem. They ended up winning and he only dropped three games in the process. But I have to at least point out it is a massive step up in competition. And I do think that Sissipas is the better hardcore player. Humphrey's been in good form, and Dezanchelp looked pretty good in the first round. I'm going to go with Tsitsipas. I think that, once again, minus two and a half games is pretty appealing. You can argue that Phils has the talent to make this match difficult, and I do agree with you there. But I do think that Tsitsipas, once again, has beaten better competition, and I think at this stage in their careers, he is the better player. I think Phils can be a future top 10 player, but that's a couple years out. I think that Phils is very solid, but I like how Tsitsipas has played Give me Sitsipas to get the job done. I don't mind straight sets at plus 115. I think there is some value there at plus money. And I do think for minus two and a half games, that is the main look I have for the sake of the spread, because I think that line is a bit too short. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual six matches. Now it's time to actually get into the lock and dog picks for the show. Before we get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. Already knocked out of your NFL Survivor Pool? Don't worry about it, because we got you covered with the SGPN Second Chance Survivor Contest, presented by Corey Pinkston and Barking Dog Properties. $3,000 up for grabs, winner take all, starts this weekend, so sign up now, sportscampockets.com slash survivor, sportscampockets.com slash survivor. We're also brought to you by the NFL Gambling Podcast. The NFL Gambling Podcast guys are doing a review contest. Leave an Apple Podcast review with your favorite TD-related bet for this weekend, Biggest winner gets a $50 SGPN gift card. Make sure to include your YouTube username in the review so we can contact the winner. We're also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog has a way to play alongside your favorite football team all season long. Underdog has just introduced Scorchers. Go five for five and pick them Scorchers and enjoy a spicy 100x payout. And for a limited time, Underdog is extending the first deposit bonus up to $500. $100,000 Sundays continue. Underdog Fantasy, 10 lucky players will win $10,000 each. 
So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little cash over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, remember, use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will will double your first deposit up to $500. So Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I love attending sporting events in person. And it used to be very difficult to actually find a ticket platform that I could trust, but that changed when I found Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all these sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. And my favorite feature from the actual app is the images of seat views feature, which is very useful. It tells you or shows you exactly what the view is going to be if you purchase that specific ticket. So you don't have to worry about getting a view that's obstructed, which I'm sure has happened to all of us at least once in our lives. But forget planning months in advance. Game time is deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less. Game time will credit you 110%. Of the, of the difference. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter this NFL season with Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL. NBA, MLB, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea into the Hall of Fame Bets revolutionary parlay optimizer tool, and you can get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the six ATP semifinal matches taking place on Saturday. Now it's time to actually talk about the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go back to Stockholm. I'm going to look at a matchup between Kikmanovic and Kotov. I'm going to take the over in games at 22.5, and and the over I found at minus 122 on FanDuel. couple reasons why I'm going to go with the over in this match. First reason, I do think both players are in very solid form, and I think that you're likely going to see a marathon match between them. But we saw them face off about a month ago in Beijing, and that match cruised over each of the first two sets in that match, had 12-plus games, won three sets anyway. But I do think from what we saw in the first meeting, I think you're looking at what should be a very competitive, even battle. And I think because of that, 22.5 is too low. Once again, the first match in Beijing ended up landing at... 25, and that was before the third set was even played. So I think that is definitely doable to go over this, even if there is a straight set win by either guy. But you're looking at Kotov's sets in this event. Decent amount of long sets. Ended up going to a tiebreak against Greekspor, had a 7-5 set against Sunigo, had two tiebreaks against Eubanks, and he had a tiebreak against Sako in the first round of qualifying. So if you want to actually do the math there, that does mean that five sets that Greeks, that uh, Kotov has played so far in this event, have had at least 12 games, and I do think that should result in one very long set. Minimum, you might get there with a 7-6 and a 6-4, but I do think 22.5 for this matchup is too low of a number, especially 
at minus 122. Give me the over as my lock. And for my dog, I am going to go back to Antwerp in the Bublik and Mar- Marterra match. Give me the over two and a half sets at plus 125. Simply put, I think Bublik's the more talented player, but he's also a head case. So I do think that Bublik can mentally check out at times and maybe punt the set in the process. But Marterra has been very good. He has not dropped a set so far in this event. However, I said it before, he really hasn't played anybody. Beat Brower, Drogit, Gasquet, Borges, and Gaston. A really weak field, and I do think that, once again, Bublik is the best server that Martero is going to face by a wide margin out of that entire list of players. So I do think Bublik's going to be able to hold, but I do think that Martero is still a very unique player to play against. He's solid, and he's also a lefty. So I do think that he can give... Uh, Bublik some problems. He's also six foot two, so he might be able to get some rackets on some good Bublik serves. But I see a very close match. The odds makers do as well. I think it's a bit weird that Bublik is minus one thirty to win, and the spread in the in the actual match is minus one. So it's basically a pick'em, and yet the over two and a half sets is plus one twenty five. I feel like that should be shorter. I think it should be closer to plus 115 or plus 110. But I see a competitive matchup, and I do think that each player will have moments, kind of like what we saw in Bublik's last match on Friday, where he ended up facing off against Picard, and that ended up going to three sets at... Uh, Pericard, I mean, as they end up going to three sets as each player split six, four sets. I see a similar story here. Give me a three set battle at plus 125. So once again, my lock and dog for the show, the lock is going to be on Kotov and Kekmanovic over 22 and a half games at minus 122. And my dog will be Bublik and Marterer over two and a half sets at plus 125. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. Find me on the NBA the NBA podcast, the NFL podcast, MLB podcast. You get the point. A reminder, we'll be back once again tomorrow for the final in those three events. But until then, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.